0: Thank you, Rich. Uh, good to see you this morning. I do hope you had a Merry Christmas. Uh, it was a white one, and uh, that was uh, that was really beautiful to, to see. We we enjoyed uh, some time with my folks who were able to come up and spend some time with us as well. So glad to hear Rich and company did did uh, well as uh, too. Let me give you an update. Uh, Dave Swartz. You haven't seen Dave up here for a few weeks. He has been down with COVID, as some of you know. And some of you also know he's been in the ICU. But I'm happy to report this week he was finally let out of ICU and uh, recovering. He's allowed one visitor per day. And for some reason, uh, he doesn't want to see me. He'd rather see his family. uh, So... uh, but he uh, is uh, uh, doing much better. And we missed, through this season, his silly Santa hat and that kind of thing. But I uh, wanted you to know that he seems to be recovering at this point. And we're so very, very glad at that. And, of course, so many have been impacted by the uh, the concerns with the virus. Others are are doing uh, reasonably well, others not so much. But uh, we, we continue to keep those folks in prayer want to just remind you, this is the end of our year, fiscally, uh, as well as obviously by the calendar. So grateful again for the generosity of each and every one of you this, this year. Uh, your encouragement to us has been demonstrated in many ways, but one of those ways. Is through your continued giving, allowing us to continue to dream and be a a part of ministry and really set us up for for next year. We're very, very close to meeting our budget for this year, which is dramatic in my mind as we have gone through this period. So thank you for the work that you've done. But also as we anticipate next year, we're going to turn the page and we're excited about what God is going to do. We believe that 2021 is going to be a defining year for our ministry in a lot of different ways. Uh, and maybe I'll even talk about that in, in a few minutes here. But uh, uh, the Lord has laid it on my heart. Over these last few weeks, we've been talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus. I want to end 2020 with, uh, with her in focus again as we think about her life and her ministry to Jesus, but also to us by terms of example. And so we're going to uh, return to the Gospel of Luke Luke chapter 2, and I want us to focus on the rest of this chapter after Bethlehem, after Jesus was born. So let me invite you to stand with me, and we'll take a moment here and read this passage and uh, explore what God has to say this morning to us as his people. Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 21, I'll read through verse 40, although really in uh, entirety the the rest of the chapter is what I'll be uh, speaking on today. Beginning with verse 21, hear the word of the Lord. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph, and Mary, it had been revealed to him by the holy spirit that he would not die before he had been or for, before he had seen the lord's messiah moved by the spirit he went into the temple courts and when the parents brought in the child jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required simeon took him in his arms and praised god saying sovereign lord as you have promised you may now dismiss your servant in peace And a sword will pierce your own soul, too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward. the redemption of Israel. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. May God have this blessing to his word. Please be seated. Well, I am sure that you will agree with me when I say that this year has been a year of uncertainty. And as we look at a new year, there is a temptation for us to say, well, good riddance to 2020. But I want to remind you that, in fact, after Jesus was born, things did not suddenly become easier for this teenage mother, Mary, and her little family. In fact, if you think about it, Mary faced mountains of uncertainty as she navigated all the things ahead of her. But what we see is that in the face of uncertainty and sometimes difficulty, she maintained her steadfast trust in God. And what I want us to see this morning is, is it it seems that Luke is, is, as he explains this story, he, he kind of uh, shares in my mind's four different things that that may have caused Mary some uncertainty. And maybe you can relate to these things as well. First, I I want you to think about it. It was important to realize that Mary and Joseph together faced a life of poverty. Luke 2 gives us this indication. And you say, well, Pastor, I just read this passage with you. Where did you get that Mary and Joseph were poor? Well, according to the Old Testament law, when dedicating your child before God, Leviticus 5 says you should bring a lamb and sacrifice it to the Lord. But that same passage goes on to say, if you cannot afford a lamb, then bring doves or pigeons. Mary and Joseph, by Luke's account, couldn't afford the lamb. Instead, they, they could afford the bird's They had very little. They were poor. You can think about this couple. They they got married sooner than they expected. Their plans were moved ahead because of this unexpected pregnancy. And so there were no baby gifts. There were no showers from family supporting and helping this young couple. Just scowls from the people who looked at Mary because of her uh, suspected immoral and immature behavior. You see, you know this, and maybe some of you in this room know this right now, if, if you are a person of very limited resources, that can put a lot of stress on you. That can be difficult to manage wondering whether or not you're going to have enough to uh, have enough to, 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 to take care of the uh, necessities of life. It's not uncommon for young couples to face those issues. And those issues bring stress to a marriage. They bring stress to the family. And so I just want to remind you this morning that one of the uncertainties that Mary faced was that she was poor. Jesus was not born in a palace as a prince. He was born into a very simple and poor family. That's one, but, but I think there probably was another issue of uncertainty for Mary, and one was that her son received all this unusual attention from strangers. And mom and dad, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about one of the things that, that, that she may have felt. Now, it's no surprise to us to learn that, that small children get attention. When Mary uh, and I, my wife Mary and I were younger parents and we had four young kids and boy at one point they were all in car seats and several of them were in diapers all at once and so we would go into a restaurant and invariably we'd have someone stop in and say, wow your kids are great and compliment us on how well they were behaving. Now, things are different, of course. I, I have young adults as my kids, and no one stops and says, boy, these kids are really good to us any longer. The truth is, they're just not as cute as they used to be. But but when they were young, that happened quite a bit. But imagine what it was like parenting Jesus. Here Jesus is. He's only 40 days old. Mary and Joseph take him to the temple, dedicate him to the Lord, And this stranger, Simeon, this prophet, is there. Now, we don't know how long the Lord had, uh, or how long Simeon had been waiting, but uh, if, if you listened in on Christmas Eve to Adam's message, he says that Simeon had been waiting on Christmas, and I love that image. And so you can only imagine that every time a couple would come into the temple with a baby in a blue blanket, Simeon would make his way over and and try to get a peek at the child. And you can imagine what that was like as he was just trying to get a sense from the Holy Spirit, is this the one? Is this the one? And time and time again, he'd see these babies and he'd be happy for the families, But, but every time he had been disappointed until this one day. And as he viewed the crowd, he looked over and he saw a couple with a brand-newborn baby. And the mother carried carried him in her arms. Well, he made his way over toward the baby, and suddenly the spirit speaks to his spirit and whispers to him, This is the one. Well, he asked Mary if he can hold the baby. Mom, how would you feel about that? The stranger. But she cautiously agrees. And when he takes the baby into his arms, he immediately begins to praise God. Now, that had to be a little bit unusual to see a stranger holding your baby, singing and dancing and celebrating. And the Bible says the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Luke says that wasn't enough. A godly woman, a a prophetess named Anna comes along. She is in her 80s. She has spent an incredible amount of time in the temple praying and fasting. She knows God, and God knows her, and they speak together regularly. And the Bible says that she saw the baby Jesus, and she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. I want you to think about that. It had to be a little bit of a difficult, maybe some added pressure as this child received more attention than most babies receive. Shepherds had come, angels had come. Simeon speaks prophecies. Anna has these comments of encouragement. If they hadn't really come soon, there would be wise men coming from the east, and they would bow down and worship him. You know, I, I, I think most uh, uh, more attention is given to uh, children, but, but when they get a lot of attention, there's more pressure and responsibility. And you begin to wonder, what is going on with this child? How will God use this baby? As a parent, what will he be when he grows up? And as a parent, you might ask, what are my responsibilities? I think about Tiger Woods. Some of you may recall that he was at age three on national television. I think it was the Johnny Carson Show. And he was putting uh, golf balls. And people said, then, we better watch this kid. He's going to grow up and be a pro golfer. And it turns out he did pretty well. LeBron James. How young was he when he was pegged by the national media to be the next generation talent? He was in junior high. Can you imagine the stress of Uh, uh, as a parent trying to, to help your child make it to what they were intended to be. The more attention given to a child, the greater the scrutiny by others. And Mary had to deal with that on an ongoing basis. And I think she had to wrestle with, am I raising this child, this son, the way God would have me raise him? Now, of course, that's a question we all should ask as parents, but, but most especially Mary. Am I doing the right thing? But let's not forget, Mary also had to deal with the reality of a painful prediction. Simeon had, of course, encouraged this couple by his words, but not everything he said was comforting. He gave them the good news. Your son, Jesus, is the savior of all the nations. But then he gave them some disturbing news too that maybe Mary wasn't quite expecting. He said, a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now we've already learned that Mary was the kind of person who took things in and she pondered them. She went over them again and again in her mind. We know that. So we had this moment when she's told this painful prediction, and I wonder if she didn't think and say, wait a minute here, what does that mean? Pierce my soul. That sounds painful. That sounds ominous. And then he used that word to, meaning also. Was Jesus, my son, going to have to suffer as well? For Mary, there was no way she could possibly understand the full depth of what that prophecy meant, but it had to trouble her. It had to cause uncertainty. Think about you as a parent. Sometimes I hear parents say that they're kind of leery about bringing children into this world. They say it's too violent, it's too cruel, society continues to decay, it's too rough to raise them as Christians, and of course they seem to live in this shadow of a painful prediction of what they think the world is going to be. Now, of course, we all share concerns about what's going on in the world today, and what we see in society is certainly disconcerting. But let me be really clear here, and I think I have the Bible behind me 100%. The remedy is not for Christians to stop having children. Instead, our mission and challenge is to take our children and learn to pour our faith into them, life into our young people, and anticipate and wait to see how God is going to use them to make a difference in the world. But we have a responsibility here as parents and, and, and this this weighs heavy on my heart this year as as we are looking into a new year. I want to make you this commitment that the children and children's ministry is going to be a priority as we look forward. We are going to work hard at having a thriving children's ministry, where we are not simply entertaining young people, because I think there are a lot of churches who do that, but we are committed to discipling them, to raising them up, to to giving them scripture, to helping them understand what it is to walk with Jesus. Folks, as we lean into this new year, I'm going to ask you, or I'm just going to say this, I need your help to do that. We're going to need some volunteers raised up. We're going to need some new ways to think about ministry that maybe we haven't done before. As we reset, restart, it's going to be a priority for our church. And I want you to know that, that you're, you can be a part of that. And would you just pray about that with me? Lord, how can we do a better job, do the most mag- magnificent job of raising up our children to walk in your light in 2021. That's going to be a priority for us. A church I know of uh, in Kentucky sent their volunteers in children's ministry a note at Christmas. It said this. said, 100 years from now, it will not matter what kind of car I drove, what kind of house I lived in, how much money I had in the bank, or what my clothing looked like but the world may look a little different because I was important in the life of a child. I like that. Nothing more important that we can give to our children than the understanding of who God is and what he came to do when he sent Jesus his son. As parents, we, of course, are worried about their health, their education, and I hope their spiritual welfare. And yes, as parents, as I'm sure Mary did, we would protect them from harm and heartache, from failure and disappointment, from evil and darkness. And when they hurt, we hurt too. When they suffer as parents, uh, we suffer right along with them. Mary had to face this uncertainty of this painful prediction that a sword would pierce her soul too. Now, the fourth thing that Luke alludes to uh, that may have caused her a little uncertainty, it seems to me, was she had experienced a, a curious, what I'm calling a curious adolescence with her son. Now, we didn't take the time to read this portion of the chapter, but as you may recall, when Jesus was just 12 years old, the family, his family, during the Passover celebration went to the temple. And lo and behold, you remember that Jesus goes missing. <laughs> they, they had left Jerusalem, Joseph and Mary, and with the family. They were traveling in a caravan, I'm sure. One of them expected, or both of them suspected, that Jesus was with the other or perhaps with cousins. We don't know for sure. This is the original home alone idea, scenario. Imagine, if you will, that moment when Mary realizes that she's lost Jesus. Lord, I've let you down. God, I don't know where he is. I've lost him. What was that like? I can imagine that there was some uh, interesting conversation that the scripture doesn't record between Joseph and Mary here at this point as well. But she may have feared for her boy. She wondered if he had been kidnapped. Had he been even murdered? Now, if you know this story, and we could read it together, and maybe you should, but Jesus was fine. In fact, he was right there in the temple where they left him. He was sitting among the teachers and, and, and leaders, listening and asking questions, and in fact, everyone who heard him was so impressed, the Bible says. But Luke two forty eight 48 says, When his parents saw him... They were astonished. I think that's an interesting phrase. But his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And the Bible says, Why are you searching for me? He asked, Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And the next line is interesting. But they did not understand what he was saying. To them, can anyone relate to that? Have you ever not understood what your child was saying? You know, as parents and teenagers, often there are these misunderstandings. Often there are these uh, challenges when it comes to language and understanding one another. I'll give an example. My my daughter Faith this morning. I think she's back here. Yes, she is. But the uh, the thing about uh, Faith is that she had a special. gift that she wanted for christmas uh she wanted a traffic light for her dorm room now i'm talking a real traffic light now red yellow green you know the you know what you're you know you see them on the street every day and i said what in the world do you want a traffic light for she couldn't explain that to me but that's what she wanted and she wanted it really bad but i wasn't going to give her a traffic light that's silly it's stupid it wasn't going to happen But, of course, she has a spell over her brothers. And one of her brothers, Micah, well, he got to work. And I'm not going to tell you how exactly he did it, but he got her a traffic light for Christmas. And he worked it out. He set it up. He went through the remote control. He got a remote control, hooked it up. Don't ask me why he got it for. Don't ask me how he got it, because I don't want to know. But who can understand young people? What in the world is that all about? Mark Twain used to say, when your child turns 13, place them in a barrel, put a lid on it, and feed them through the knothole. And when he turns 16, seal up the knothole. I think that's (laughs) probably about right. I can't figure that out to this day. And the problem is, that dorm room is so small. Do you see how big that thing is? My goodness. You know where it's going to end up? Right where it is right now in my living room. You know, that's all I need. Well, there is uh, there's one more verse in Luke 2 that kind of bridges the gap of the next 18 years. It takes us from the time that Jesus was 12 up until he was about 30 when we believe he began his ministry. It's a brief verse, but it says so much. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, in favor with God and with man. That's the hope of every parent, that our children would grow in favor with God and with the people around them. You know, what occurs to me as I think about this story and I think about the journey that Mary was on is... That in spite of all the uncertainty, in spite of all the difficulty that Mary certainly did face, and all the questions I'm sure she had, and by the way, we didn't even mention the fact that she had to go to Egypt, remember, because Jesus himself was, because Luke doesn't tell us that story, but Jesus was in danger. Matthew tells us that story. But through it all, I would argue that Mary trusted God. She had a firm reliance on the person that she had come to know in God. And I want to give you three different reasons, I believe that this morning, that her faith held firm. And those three reasons can be instruments of grace in our own lives today as we think about what lies ahead in 2021. When Mary was first told that she would be the mother of Jesus Christ the Messiah, by the angel, you'll remember that very very shortly thereafter, she began singing a song. I, I, I believe that that's much more important than sometimes we make it out to be. We've already learned that Mary pondered things in her heart. She reviewed them again and again. I believe that song that she wrote, she sang again and again to her own spirit, to her own soul, to remind her of that moment with the angel, to remind her of the promises of God. And in that song, it gave her a foundation upon which to keep on trusting God even in the midst of uncertainty. And I want to give you at least three things that I see in that song that I think allowed her to build that foundation. And I'll start with this one. The first one that I saw when I reviewed that song was this, is that God's arm is all-powerful. That in the midst of uncertainty, I can know this for sure, God's arm is all-powerful she came back to this truth when she sang this song she cried out for the mighty one has done great things for me holy is his name his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation he has performed mighty deeds with his arm you see mary believed that god was all-powerful And that somehow he had chosen to use her. That an all-powerful God had chosen to use someone like her as an instrument of his grace. And God does that. This all-powerful God that you and I talk about and serve, we are actually instruments of his arm when he chooses us to do ministry in all uh, all kinds of ways. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. Friends, be reminded that that this morning... That in the midst of our uncertainty, in the midst of darkness and and difficulty, there is a God that we know is all-powerful, and he's in control. And so we keep on. We don't give up, because he is in control. The second thing I would suggest that Mary knew is this, is not only did she know that his arm is all-powerful, but that his will is always perfect. His will is perfect. She sang in verse 52 He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Mary had confidence, even in those low moments, that her heavenly Father's will was always going to be the right thing. She trusted God's heart, she trusted God that He would get her through. I don't think she understood everything. One of the ways I've always tried to describe the will of God in our lives is to use the image of a tapestry. Some of you will, in your mind's eye right now, look at a, think about a beautiful tapestry and the picture that it represents. But you also should know that if you turn that tapestry on the other side, you'll see a, a weaving that goes on that, that makes no sense at all. It just becomes a jumble of all kinds of, of thread and it wouldn't make sense, but when you turn it around, it's beautiful. But when on the other side, it, 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 it's, it's nothing to look at at all. I think that's the way God works in our lives sometimes. I think if we would look at our lives, we we are are, are, are experiencing this jumble of of all kinds of concerns and disappointments and maybe even tragedies. But I think to God's perspective. When you turn that around, you're going to see that he has accomplished exactly what he wanted to. And in fact, it will be quite beautiful. For God, all things work together for good to them that love him and are called according to his purpose. And so Mary believed that God's will was perfect for her. He would lift her up in due season. That leads me to the third point. I believe that Mary knew that God's timing was precise, perfect. In Mary's song, she began to sing, He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Now think about that. Abraham had received the promise, but it had been a thousands of years later before Jesus Christ came to be born. Mary knew that, however, God had fulfilled his promise, just as he had said. The apostle Paul wrote, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sonship. God's timing was just right. Paul Harvey used to tell the story about Ron Schaefer in Texas. Ron was sitting in a Texas movie theater watching a movie, and Ron was a man in his 50s. He was sitting there watching the movie when suddenly a young, attractive young lady came down and sat right beside him. In fact, she offered him some popcorn and With her arm extended to him, he he suddenly paused, and when he paused, she looked at him and realized that she had sat down in the wrong seat. Her boyfriend was two rows up. Embarrassed, she said, Oh, sir, I'm so sorry, I've got the wrong seat. He responded, Oh, no, you've got the right seat. You're just 25 years too late. (laughs) You know, it was Solomon who said this. He said... And this is so wise. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Do you believe that this morning? This is an age of uncertainty. I can't tell you what will happen in 2021. But I know that Mary couldn't tell you what was happening in her own life either. But we do know this. We have one who's trustworthy. And he loves us. Mary knew that God's arm was all-powerful. She knew that his will was perfect. She knew that his timing was precise. I was thinking this week, as I wrote this message, that one of the first hymns that I remember growing up singing was, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still. And for all who will trust and obey, trust and obey, for there's no other way. To be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. No other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. When everything was uncertain for Mary, she had someone she could trust. And let me remind you this morning, you do too. He loves you. He's already proven that. He sent Jesus. And if you choose to walk with him, you're in good hands. Father, as I close this message this morning, as we we go on our way, I just pray that, Lord, you would remind us of Mary and her walk with you. And we are so thankful, Lord. Because this morning we are mindful of this. We know so much more than Mary did. Mary may have been puzzled by what was told to her by Simeon. She wondered what it meant that you would save the world. But Lord, we know. We know that Jesus was born so that he could die on the cross for my sins. For the sins of the world. And we're grateful. We know that, Lord, you raised him up on the third day. And he... Lord, is even alive today in walking in glory, having defeated death and sin. Lord, we know that you've sent the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit that overshadowed her can live inside of us. And Lord, even right now, he is a gift to us. that gives us wisdom and understanding of your word and the power to live a life that is holy and good. Father, I thank you that We know this morning that Jesus Christ is coming again. And I pray, oh Father, that we would live in light of that day. That no matter what this day may hold, Lord, we know that there is coming a time when we will see you face to face. And we will be called your children. And so, Lord, I am just thankful. And I am grateful for all that you've accomplished. Because your arm is powerful. Your will is perfect and your timing is precise. Lord, maybe your timing is so good this morning that that someone here is saying, uh, or maybe listening through live stream, Lord, and they recognize that they aren't trusting you. I pray that, Lord, today they would say yes to giving their all to you, to putting it all on the altar and saying, Lord, I'm going to follow you in this year. I am yours completely just as Mary did. And help us, Lord, to trust you with our whole hearts. I ask this in Jesus' name.